Welcome to the Me and My House podcast. We are your hosts, Stephen and Aubin Stroop. Thanks for listening in as we share our adventures in marriage, parenting, and ministry. We hope to inspire, encourage, and teach others that when we choose to live for the glory of God, that life is not only better, it is a life abundant. to episode two of Me and My House podcast. We are going to dive right into a topic that just kind of came to our hearts this week. It's uh, If it was to be titled, we're going to title it Redefining Facing Trials and Bringing Burdens. Um, you know, in our Bible reading this week, both of us were discussing trials and burdens and we began to wonder how many things are really trials and burdens, and how many things are more complaints stemming from our luxury? And um, so we just kind of wanted to dive into that. And the first verse that comes to mind is 1 John 2, 15 uh, through 17, where it talks about the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. And the lust of the flesh is actually defined in the Matthew Henry commentary as um, lusting or desiring for luxury. And so just kind of combining those thoughts, um, you know, what kind of trials are we talking about? What, what's a more biblical definition when we're talking about trials and burdens? Well, um, so I guess first, if maybe we should talk about some things that might not be trials. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and you talked about luxury, so I guess maybe the trial of the new pool we're putting in, you know, not staying on schedule and it really irritate. Not, not, we're not getting a pool. <laughs> I mean, maybe someone is getting a pool. Yeah. And definitely not. no, and it's not uh, on schedule. And we consider that a trial because it's running behind. And we really want to swim. Or maybe, you know, our wallpaper doesn't quite make it all the way to the ceiling. I don't know. Do people have wallpaper these days? I think wallpapers are There are a few people. But, yeah. you know, I, um, I work in construction, as some people know. And so um, I get, I, get uh, I, I would say there's, in recent months, there have been a few jobs that have made me think about this thought a little bit uh, mm-hmm. because I've had the... I really just thought about how much, uh, what percentage of my job is done um, because we have channels like DIY Network and HGTV and what percentage of my job is done because a house really needs to be loved on and cared for because it's falling apart or because there's repairs or because a family needs extra space or something like that. And I would say, honestly, the the, uh, HGTV part is probably about 80%. And uh, the the absolute need part is probably closer to the twenty percent. And yeah. while I'm thankful that I have the job, that eighty percent of the time, um, every once in a while you get a customer that reminds you that what you're doing is um, sometimes based in frivolity or discontent or mm. something like that. And so, yep. luxury, I guess. Yeah. yeah, that's what I was gonna say. It sounds like a lot of it is discontent, mm. and. Um, 
so that discontent, it's kind of interesting because, okay, well, let me, let me give you Matthew Henry's definition of a trial, and then we can go back to discontent. So trial, the trials of good people are ones they do not create for themselves or sinfully pull on themselves, but ones that they fall into. So, okay, you think about a trial, like we were just mentioning, kind of being silly about the pool not being done or the right. wallpaper or whatever it may be. That would definitely be a trial we pulled on ourselves because, right. you know, if if we are doing these renovations, and not that renovations are bad, we've certainly renovated houses before. Oh, um, but but if we consider a delay in the schedule or things like that as trials. Right. Or a burden. Um, or a burden, yes. That that could be something maybe we've pulled on ourselves. Um, but also, you know, you have to mention, too, that maybe we're going through a trial with our health because of some bad decisions that we've made, mm. you know, along the way and not taking care of ourselves. Um, you know, there are definitely things that God brings into our lives that are no fault of our own for reasons that he, he knows, you know, to test us, to, um, just to make us more of what he wants us to be. But then there are many, many illnesses and, um, sicknesses and, uh, debilitating conditions that we do bring on ourselves because, um, I think it can go back to luxury again because mm. we want to indulge all the time. Right. We want to live that life of indulgence. And certain, there is a place for indulgence. I mean, the Bible talks about feasting. Right. But I don't think we were supposed to be in a constant state of feasting. Right. <laughs> so I think I'm smiling because I'm remembering um, of a year and a half, maybe two years ago, when I had my first bout with gout. Yeah. And I didn't even know what gout was. I didn't know that's what I had. Uh, but I literally could barely walk because my feet hurt so bad from that. And, and after doing some research and looking at it, then we discovered, okay, well, this the, the symptoms look like gout. But <laughs> I, I don't think I've ever been more embarrassed to be diagnosed with something because uh, if you looked it up, it actually was called the King's Disease because it was uh, common for uh, those in uh, more kingly uh, position to have that happen to them because they were feasting all the time mm. and they were living in luxury. And so basically it was saying, hey, you're eating too much and you're eating all the bad things in life and uh, so now you have gout. <laughs> and and I, that doesn't mean that everybody that has gout uh, got it from that, but I, what it made me... Uh, with what you've just said and remembering that, one thought that comes to mind is uh, you said um, trials and burdens there defined by the commentary was things that we fall into of no uh, circumstance of ours. Is that what you said? Yeah, it's um, basically things that we did not bring on ourselves, uh, right. create ourselves, pull ourselves into. Right. So, so I think one of the things that we have to admit first about human nature is that um, often it's very easy to say something is not our fault mm -hmm. without really diving into could it be mm -hmm. my fault or was there something I did wrong to cause this or go down this road um, because we don't like to self-examine like that. Right. So I think the first part of 
uh, trying to decipher uh, what kind of trial or burden you might have and where it might come from is to be honest with yourself and self-examine a little bit. Yeah, and so I was listening to a sermon this week by Alistair Begg, and he was talking about this, um, this very thing. And one of the things he mentioned, and he said he could not defend this necessarily from Scripture, but he said, I wonder how many of the supposed trials and um, uh, burdens we're going through, I wonder how many of those we need to examine before we go to the Lord in prayer, asking Him Mm. to help us in this trial or this burden rather than going to God to repent mm. for getting ourselves into <laughs> this trial and this burden. That's a humbling thought. Isn't it though? Yeah. 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 And and the thing is, is not only self-examining yourself through um, worldly wisdom, mm. but examining yourself in light of the word of God and what it says. So, um, so when you, if you're, if you, so for example, if your marriage is um, struggling, uh, or I've I've counseled with couples that have um, been through divorce and were getting remarried uh, or to new people, um, and and one spouse might come in and say, well, uh, yeah, I've been divorced and it was you know the the other person's fault. They did this. They did this. They did this. And never once brought up any fault of their own. And and you have to really, it has to come from a very humbling place to sit down and, and talk with someone about, okay, well, let's look at, you know, where, where that foundational issue was. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times you could trace back, yeah, there was some wrongdoing uh, between the, or from the other, the other spouse but you could trace it back to even further, which was one person was a believer and the other person was not, and they became unequally yoked. Mm-hmm. And, the, and the Bible tells us not to be mm-hmm. unequally yoked. And so, so you could almost trace it back and say there's, there was foundational issues before you started building the house. And you're going back to only some of the, the major things that started being seen when the house started falling apart. Well, what's interesting about that, though, is that... Maybe, you know, because God can take a terrible situation or he can take a situation that started out sinfully and make it into something beautiful right. that he blesses. Right. But it all has to start with first what you were just saying, the recognition of sin in right. the beginning and the repentance right. yeah. for God to then be able to take that. But if we're not ever willing to even figure out or or even confess or repent that, you know, I was wrong in the beginning for this, but now I am here. So what do I do about this, God? How do we take this and make this into something that can glorify you? But we all, but we have, it has to start with repentance. Right. So, and that starts with uh, conviction and humbling, uh, a humble attitude. And so I think that's probably where we have to start with this subject. Yeah. Because you yeah. have to start from a from a humble state and and really open your mind to what the word of God might actually say to you about where you're at. Absolutely. So while there are trials and burdens that 
you know, maybe, maybe need to be more of a confession and repentance. There are certainly trials that the Bible does talk about and that we need to bring before the Lord. Um, and the Lord is there to help us. So, um, do you want to read James one, two yeah. through four? Yeah. So these, these, we're going to go through a few verses that, uh, really stuck out to, to me whenever I first started to read through, um, the word this, this week. And, and then we began, this began our conversation, but the first verse is James one, like, uh, Auburn said, uh, verse two through four, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete lacking in nothing. So that verse I've read, I don't know, a, a thousand times in my life. And, and it's almost memorized, uh, if not memorized in, in some paraphrased way. And so reading that, um, it talks about the various trials, uh, the trials of various kinds, uh, and that testing of your faith. And I think my main thought there was, okay, so the definition or the defining characteristic of the trial there is that it tests your faith. So how many times do the things that I call a trial, are they really testing my faith? Mm, or so is it more of just, because I don't know that there's very many times that I could actually say that something is testing my faith on a day-to-day basis. Um, all the kids are crazy and oh gosh what a burden today they're just kind of loud and doing whatever and or this customer is not happy and or this material didn't come in today and I can't get that done or I'm running out of daylight and I don't have enough time to get to here there or whatever and that's not really testing my faith as much as just testing my patience Mm. (laughs) and testing testing my character to see if I'm gonna be a a godly man in the moment or not you know (laughs) well and Yet there certainly are tests that could really try our faith. Mm -hmm. You know, I can think of um, people going through illnesses, um, you know, maybe wondering why, why God brought that into their lives. And, you know, if it isn't, like we talked about earlier, something that maybe we could have prevented through a little bit better choices along the way, but it's just something that has happened to us at no fault of our own then you may wonder, it may be a test of faith to Mm. wonder, you know, why God, why are you bringing this into my life? But one of the things that, um, I've been reminding myself of each morning is, um, whatever God brings into my day, that day is what he has for me to walk through. Mm -hmm. And so when you're walking through a supposed trial, we don't have to look at it as maybe maybe God is n- not with it that day. You know, maybe He's absent. Maybe He is unaware of what's going on, or even that He would be angry with us um, and realize that um, God is a a good God, and that He brings things into our lives that um, He's going to use. Mm-hmm. Uh, to make us better, to make us more like him. I think it's interesting in the verses that you read, the count it all joy, because when you, when you look at the commentary on that, um, the commentary says that the philosophy or the worldly wisdom of today 
instructs us during trials to remain calm. Right. Um, but Christianity actually teaches us to be joyful mm. in trials, not just to be calm, though we are supposed to be sober-minded. Right. But it teaches us that we are to be joyful in them, that we, we can't lose heart. We don't need to be sad and miserable because when we do, then then we can lose uh, the ability to face those trials um, and to really um, learn whatever it is God is going, whatever he has for us in those trials. You know, what's interesting about that is that, um, <laughs> so the world says that to be sober-minded is to remain calm in times of crisis or a time mm-hmm. where your faith might be tested. Um but the Bible commands us to remain joyful, to count it all joy, to be joyful. And and to the world, to be joyful in the midst of a faith-testing crisis would not be sober-minded. Mm. It would seem like insanity. It's so true. And so we have to view things through a biblical worldview because it is completely counter-intuitive uh, to what the world would actually suggest for us to do. Mm, I heard a great quote this week. Um, I think it was, the darkest hour on earth is the greatest opportunity for light. Mm, I like that. I like that a lot. Yeah. So uh, one of the other verses that, I'm sorry, were we done with that verse? I couldn't remember. Yeah, you can go on if you want. One of the other verses that that prompted this, because there were three verses that prompted this thinking, was First Peter um, 1, verse 6 and 7. Uh, it says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So again, uh, we had the first characteristic was trials that test your faith. Uh, and again, you see that repeated here to test the genuineness of your faith. But one of the things that the words that caught my my mind and made it stop and pause there was you have been grieved by various trials. Mm. And I don't consider, again, most of what I would usually turn around and call a trial something that grieves me. Because a grieve is a hard word. It's yeah. It's got gravity to it. Mm. So um, this was, again, another prompting of uh, the spirit, I believe, to help me to think through redefining what I would call a trial or a burden. Yeah. And, you know, I I think we kind of had a, a rough summer this last year. Um, and while I know in my past and probably even present, I tend to think of things as trials that aren't truly trials. I think we went through a couple of smaller trials. Right. At least at the moment, we considered them trials this summer. And um, one of the things that I that brought me peace in that was literally just surrendering to the trial. Mm. Rather than trying to find a way to just make it stop. Because I did pray that in the beginning. I did pray, God, can you just make everything the way it was? Can things just be better? Right. You know, um, can we just get through this already? It sounds like everybody's prayer through 2020 and 2021. <laughs> right, right. Uh, well, uh, COVID was part of that trial. Right, I'm not right. going to lie because it all happened at the same time. 
Um, and again, we've mentioned there are 14 of us and we all 14 had COVID and, uh, none of us had it horribly, but it was, and, and by the way, at the time we were all squeezed into an 1100 square foot rent house while we were waiting on our home. And so 14 people sick with COVID and 1100 square feet. (laughs) I don't know, maybe that, you know, that probably is a trial from luxury because (laughs) (laughs) I'm used to more space than that. I think 14 people somewhere else in the world probably live in less than 1100 square feet. So I think it probably is a trial from luxury. Okay. So maybe so, but, but it felt like living in a submarine at the time. It did. It did. And that wasn't the only thing that we were dealing with at the time. And so, I, I remember specifically um, dropping you and the kids off at church and running to get us some coffee one night and um, coming back to church. And on my way back, I just kind of got to the point in my prayer. I was just talking to God the whole time. And I just reached this point in my prayer where I was like, okay, God, you know what? You do what you're going to do. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to pray anymore for you to stop. I'm not going to pray anymore for things to be the way they were before. I'm not going to pray for you to take it away you do the work you're, you you want to do and you finish the work you want to do. Mm-hmm. And it was amazing because I really felt a burden lifted off my shoulders in the moment that I prayed that. Even though it didn't mean the trial was going to be over, it was just a place of surrender. And um, that was a, that really, really helped because um, that's the point of the trial. When and, and this particular trial that I'm talking about was not a trial that we brought on ourselves. It right. was something that just kind of fell onto us um, in the midst of several other, you know, luxury trials, probably. But um, but this was a particular trial, and um, and God had something that He was doing in that trial, and so often. Great sorrow is necessary for a Christian's good. And um, that was something that I definitely learned. Not only that, but in the verses you just read, something that really brings peace is to know that these troubles, even though they may cause sorrow, they never come to us um, except for when we need them. Mm. And then they don't ever remain any longer than necessary. Right, once the work is done. That there will be an end. Yeah. There, it will come to an end. Um, and that is a great comfort as well. Yeah. Yeah. It, it actually reminds me that we're not just redefining by biblical standards um, what a trial or a burden is, but we actually need to redefine on the opposite end of that the word blessing mm. because we associate blessing, at least in our in our modern day American church culture um, or just culture in general, I think the word blessing is uh, considered a positive every time. Mm-hmm. And I believe it is a positive every time, but I don't think it comes in. It's not transported positively every time. Um, sometimes blessings come uh, in ways that are hardships, but the blessing is what you gain from the hardship or what you learn about the Lord in that hardship. Yeah. So, and that's so like an example would be children are a blessing from the Lord, right? Mm. But there are days when children don't seem like a blessing because of the, their behavior or because something they're going through and you're having to go through it with them. But the truth of the matter is that the 
hardship with that child or with those children, the patience required there, the patience, the character to grow in handling your children, um, the, the grace that you need to grow in to be able to handle the conversation you might have to have with a child. All of those things are God blessing you and sanctifying you by allowing you to go through something that doesn't seem like a blessing at the time. So we need to redefine blessing to where it's not just everything is a, a gain. Mm-hmm. I just profited this mm-hmm. and it or didn't hurt. Yeah, it was easy and it didn't, didn't hurt me at all. And that's a blessing. Mm. But that's not that's not necessarily true. And then another example that comes to mind, if, and I'm, I may be getting long-winded on this, but another example that comes to mind is back in an accountability group when I was in my uh, mid to late 20s, um, when accountability groups were really popular amongst uh, a bunch of Baptist young men, we would get together and there was a guy that would come and he would talk about how he had a severe pornography problem. Um, but he got, he had bounced from job to job to job for years and years and years. And he finally had gotten a job, um, that he was stable at and he was making good money at, and he considered it a very big blessing. And yet he confessed to the guys that we were talking about that his job revolved around a computer that he had to work with at the job site and off the job site at the house. And he was consistently uh, seeking out pornography on mm. on this computer, and um, and I remember asking him, telling him, "Don't you think that it's more important that you um, it, would it would it be worth it to just not have that job and get a different job so that you could not have to have that constant temptation around you if your addiction is so bad to that?" And he said, "Oh no, no, that God has really blessed me with this job." This is such a blessing to finally have a job that is so um, stable and, and good. I could never give this job up because it's God's blessing to me. And I remember in that moment thinking, we might need to redef- we might need to redefine the word blessing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because I just don't see how that was blessing him or praising God for the job that he was calling a blessing. Yeah. So um, I, I love definition. I love defining things. And uh, I think that sometimes we just have to stop and take words that we might have heard in the church for years since we were children and actually and put some depth to them. You know? Well, and speaking of, of children, so you brought up the blessing of dealing with um, hard things mm-hmm. with our kids and how we can grow through that. And it can be a blessing mm-hmm. um, to have to go through some of those things. Um, but you also have to look at what we were talking about with the trials and whether we bring them on ourselves. And I think what we've seen a lot of, heard a lot of, and we know in our own parenting um, that a lot of the trials we um, endure with our kids are because of things we have pulled onto ourselves. Mm. Um, So for example, um, uh, uh, let's say that you have an unruly preteen or teenager. Um, and certainly there are parents who have done um, just a wonderful job and, and still have kids that will stray and, and go their own way. But I'm, I'm not speaking about that. I'm talking about maybe a parent who um, allowed their child to kind of run wild younger 
because it was easier than having to discipline them. Right. You know, and, and that even begins from the very earliest ages. We know this when, mm. when they're little, they're little enough to, um, knock everything off the coffee table. Um, you know, that might be cute when they're 18 months old, but it sure isn't cute when they're six <laughs> and seven years old. Right. And they um, do it at the, the neighbor's house while you're having dinner together. Exactly. And, yeah. Exactly. So maybe that's something we should stop at the 18 month range rather than waiting until it's a nuisance and and then as they get older they're harder to restrain Mm -hmm. and oftentimes now you know you you see us um you see parents just kind of send their kids off to their room and let them play whatever gaming console they have or Mm -hmm. you know play on the computer or watch tv um, rather than dealing with issues. And so then things come to a head and you've got a trial. Yeah. And rather than having to go to God, which we should go to God, but that's where you go to God first with the repentance right. of I, I, ha- I have somewhere along the way dropped the ball. Mm-hmm. Um, my child is unruly and um, disrespectful and not honoring and this did not just come up overnight. You know, right. this is, this is from, this is from neglect, you know, from maybe neglecting discipline where it needed to happen right. or, you know, maybe neglecting spending time with them, or maybe I neglected who they were hanging out with, right. um, or, you know, whatever the situation may be. Um, that would be where we see a trial and we need to look at it in a different way and say, this is a trial I have brought on myself. Right. Um, right. and I need to repent and mm-hmm. ask for God's forgiveness first and then his help. Right. That's good. Um, so I think there was another verse or a couple of verses that, uh, we stumbled on that kind of tied into this. Was that in Romans? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, Romans Chapter 5, verse 1 through 5 says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured out or poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So this this was the final verse that really uh, prompted more of these thoughts. And uh, you've got the word um, through our sufferings uh, that then produces endurance. And I think a couple of things came to mind. Uh, one was our pastor in... Um, at our at our church, our pastor is we're going through the revelation uh, right now, and one of the things that he has said was um, we read read scripture, especially in this revelation study, read scripture as though or, or how do you say it for those that uh, it was being spoken to, like what are right. how are they receiving this word? Mm. Um, so in the case of um, when, when, a when he would talk about, when someone would talk about a cross in scripture, we see that 
And we may think the cross in the church, or we may think the picture of Jesus on the cross, or we may think of an Easter service, or we may think of uh, the Passion of the Christ movie, or we may think of a whole number of different things. Uh, but when the people in that time heard, take up your cross and follow me, what they were hearing was a grotesque um, command because that's all they could think of was the Roman um, torturous death of the cross, which they could see with their own eyes um, from time to time and probably very often. And so in in this case, with Romans... Um, where we're talking about suffering and he says um, that um, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. Um, I have to, I have to think about it from that perspective. Well, what are, what are the people at that time? How, how are they hearing that? Um, it kind of goes back to what we were first talking about with regards to trials of luxury um, because they didn't have uh, working plumbing. Mm-hmm. They didn't have air conditioners and they didn't have uh, all the luxuries that we might have. They didn't have cars. They walked everywhere. Uh, most of them still raised their own uh, food or they had to do some other trade so that they could actually buy their food. Uh, it didn't have the commerce that we had. And those are just some simple, basic day-to-day things that we have that they didn't have. But then we have so much more that I haven't even mentioned or haven't even dove into. So when we talk about suffering and, and when Paul in Romans here is talking about suffering, what are they hearing versus what we're hearing? Yeah. You know, and, and so that was kind of the final culminating thought that made me want to really examine myself about um, when I would talk about a trial that I might have or when I would say, Lord, I'm bringing you this burden I have. Um, and just redefining those. Hmm. Yeah. And I, it kind of makes me think, and this may be a little off topic. I hope not much. I hope it ties in, but, um, in Matthew chapter six, where we're on the sermon on the Mount here, um, you've got this section about being anxious, not being anxious. Um, but what is super interesting to me is that section begins with, therefore I tell you. Right. So remember that whole thing when you see therefore, you need to know what it's there for. Right. You got to go back. Right. So you have to go back. So he says, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink and so on. And this, the, the trials and um, burdens make me think of anxiousness because when we feel like we're in a trial, when we feel burdened by something, we grow anxious. Mm -hmm. We can be anxious. We can be in kind of a a bit of turmoil within our soul. So the therefore is there. But if you go back, it says no one can serve. And this is uh, Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. So when you're talking about, you know, the, what that, the context in which that was written, the time that that was written, the things that they were dealing with. And then I think about how it applies to our lives today. That verse comes to mind. Those verses come to mind because a lot of the things that we see as trials 
or as burdens in our life come from that wanting to love God and money right. at the same time. Right. We, we're concerned about um, this particular thing or that particular thing, and it all has to do with us wanting to stay in this, uh, maybe in this state of luxury. We we want to we want to have the the bank account. We want to have um, the great job. We want to be somebody in society. We want our kids to be involved in this. We want our kids to be involved in that. We want them to have the nicest shoes. We want them to have the best clothes. We want them to go to the good schools. We want them, you know, it's all this stuff that really for you have to, you have to serve money. You're setting yourself up to have to worry about tomorrow. You, you are because all of these things are defining who you are. Mm-hmm. And, and you, what we don't realize is that we are creating our own trials, our mm-hmm. own troubles. We're mm-hmm. creating our own anxiety because the Bible says, if you don't want to be anxious, if you don't want to worry about tomorrow, then don't try to worship or love God and money at the same time. Right. God has to come first. And I, I saw also on the verses that you were just reading in Romans, um, Matthew Henry's commentary on that, actually, I, I like what he says. He says, we have peace with God. By faith, we take hold of God's strength. And so we are at peace. In this peace, there is friendship and unfailing love because God is either the worst enemy or the best friend. And surely we need nothing more to make us happy than to have God as our friend. Mm, yeah. So that I I think that may be a great place to end because because with God <laughs> because the dog just barked. <laughs> <laughs> well, the the dog's barking, the cats are meowing out yeah, there. Yeah. I can hear it all. But with with God as our friend, God there for us to rely on. When we put him first, um, it helps put everything else in its proper place and perspective. Right. That's right. So when you talk about you cannot serve God in money, and when we talk about setting ourselves up for anxiety and for worry for tomorrow uh, because of the way that th- the things we might pursue, and and we full disclaimer never said anything's wrong with any of those things inherently by themselves, but we have to look at everything that we set ourselves up to do through the lens of Scripture to find out what is going to put us in the best position to glorify God day to day, out in the workplace, uh, in our marriages, in our homes. So when it says you cannot serve God in money, it just reminds me of what we founded the podcast on, and uh, that's Joshua, and uh, he says. Choose this day whom you will serve. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So on that thought, until next time, choose this day who you will serve.